Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. As we wind down our podcast season of advocacy, we needed a great way to lighten it up a bit and breathe. If you have ever been through a hard-fought battle advocating for yourself, you know it really changes you. So what a perfect way to celebrate that change by updating your space to better reflect who you are now. In keeping with the theme of this podcast season, our mission in discussing design was offering people a place to start. Well, we found this incredible book called Find Yourself at Home by Emily Grosvenor, which had just hit the bookstores in June. The whole philosophy around this book is really an in-depth focus on who you are and having that consistently reflected in your home. It's a really fun and informative book that can be an inspiration to change your space as you change or harness the power of your home to better reflect your life as your life evolves. Emily is a former Fulbright scholar who has explored the connection we have with our spaces and how they impact us. Emily has been a design writer, magazine editor, and home consultant, and currently resides in the Oregon wine country. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Emily, the first thing I'm dying to know is really what led you from being a Fulbright scholar to a design magazine editor? So I've asked myself that question a lot, actually. I think a lot of us have winding paths and kind of figure out what we are really here to do through this longer and arduous process. You know, I can point to a couple different moments. I think some of it came when I was looking at what my talent is immersing myself in these worlds, which can sometimes feel a little bit unapproachable and maybe academic and making ideas from science and from academia, making some of these more complicated ideas interesting and understandable to regular folks. That's actually really reflected in the way your book is designed and laid out. There's a lot of education. I learned so much from just going through your book. What I love about your book is that you can really work with any interior designer because this is really knowing more about you. So you have the confidence not to be led down a wrong path with an interior designer that might not know you as well as you will know yourself after going through the exercises and going through the book. What inspired you to write the book? The book, actually, I started it pre-pandemic, if you could believe it. Like, it seems like the perfect pandemic project, but I was actually working on it well before then. I had taken up a position as editor of Oregon Home Magazine. And as part of that work, I was doing ongoing education to familiarize myself with design and just going deeper into the home space and learning more about design. And I was reading pretty much every style and design book that I could get. And what I was discovering was a lot of really, I hesitate to call it regurgitated because these are classics of the design world. There are certain principles that you see again and again, just in various incarnations in these design books. But I was really pushing back against some of the language that I was seeing. So I wanted a new way to think about the home space that really acknowledged just how much work our homes do and how important they really are in our lives and how they can work better for us. I love it. I love it. 
talk to us about how you came up with your five-step method, and which is all very detailed in the book. And let's just go through that. So what was the thinking behind that process, the philosophy? In terms of the philosophy, that's the first section on the book. And honestly, that's probably the most important part to me. The rest of the book's basically action items. Like I'm a magazine editor. So of course I live to tell people like where to go and what to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite things. Like I love sharing with people. Like if someone says like, where'd you get that? I'm like, I will literally go with you there and help you buy it. I love to share knowledge and to share information. The philosophy is definitely rooted in what I've learned about collaborative design, what I've learned from being someone who has basically spent an entire lifetime exploring the relationship between humans and their spaces, and just getting people to rethink what their homes could be for them. And also just kind of like giving them a little bit of freedom to explore some paradigms that maybe they haven't encountered before. We live in a world where lots of people are into their home spaces. Lots of people are into design. And most people, what they struggle with is in those first stages of, I don't know what my style is. I'm not even sure what I like. Where do I even begin in this process? So that first part is really about positioning them and kind of empowering them to think through some of those bigger picture questions. And then the rest of the book is all about kind of exploring that energetic relationship that you have with your space and trying to get you to look at your space with fresh eyes. When we're in a space for longer periods of time, we tend to stop seeing things. So it's really about reframing how you look at your space. I had a lot of fun in the build section. That one has a lot of design tools that you can use to inspire certain states of being in your space, right? Like if you're looking for calm, what do you do? If you're looking for more inspiration, what do you do? If you're working for home, what are some good ways to think about working from home? How do you incorporate the five senses into your space? I think for people who love design, they'll really connect with that part. And then the next part I have is all about desire. And that section of the book is very much rooted in feng shui, but it's it's definitely a Western approach to feng shui. So I will say that the way I look at feng shui is definitely a mix of kind of Western design and these ancient design principles that people have been using for two millennia. So if you're already familiar with feng shui, it'll be like a very like soothing practices. And if you're not familiar at all, it'll be a nice way to get some really like actionable items for changing those cues that you have in your space. And then the final part is all about destiny and it's all about learning how to ask and knowing when you might be ready to move on from a space. I think everyone knows the act of moving is difficult, but when it comes to actually like connecting with your space and feeling at home, moving spaces is one of the biggest traumas that we can experience. So I have some information there about how you might want to go through the process of moving if you decide that you're ready to move spaces. Perfect. So let's go back and talk a little bit about space. So, you know, whether your home is large or small, it seems that we all have that nook where we kind of retreat to for comfort. 
So how do you create that nook feeling throughout your home? Because it's really not about the size of the home. Modern homes can be a little bit maddening because we are trying to do almost too much in most of our spaces. You will often hear the term multi-purpose space thrown around. You know, you'll hear, oh, this is my office slash bedroom slash craft table slash (laughs) also I'm working from home here. And also there's my exercise bike is right there too. That's really a recipe for anxiety and a recipe for not really feeling good in a space. I actually think the Victorians had it a lot better. Like they had very strict boundaries with their spaces. You know, this was the formal dining room. This is the public parlor where we entertain guests. This is the private space. So with this breakdown of boundaries has become a breakdown of what those basic environmental cues are. Environmental psychologists like to talk about prospect and refuge spaces. So when we walk into a space, we are being cued as to what we're supposed to do there. So if you walk into a kitchen as a prospect space because you have something that you will do in the kitchen, a bathtub would be more like a refuge space. You see it and you immediately think refuge. So if you don't feel calm, if you don't feel at ease, in this space, ask yourself if you're trying to like pack too many activities into that space. Beyond that, you can think in terms of zones within a room. If you are an introvert and you need time to yourself, then you probably shouldn't have a lot of shared seating in your living room. You should probably make sure that you have a single chair that you can have only for yourself, you know, that has right. like an individual chair that's just there to hold your one cup of coffee. I love that. I think that's great. I hope people are taking notes. (laughs) I mean, I think rejuvenation looks different for every person. The important thing is to be conscious about it and in your own self-talk to remind yourself that this is the moment that you're taking for yourself. I also love that you spend some time focusing on the energy of objects. Exactly. Can you talk about the importance of that? I think that all of us have a relationship to our objects. We all have a relationship to stuff. And we are definitely at this point in American history at a cultural moment where we are grappling with stuff. We are inheriting stuff. We are buying stuff. We are moving stuff around our houses. And most of us have, you know, had it up to here with the abundance. And I know there's a certain amount of privilege in saying that, like not everyone is in that position. So I will say that from what I see in my own practice, not just in my own household, but, you know, in the people around me and in clients that I work with, especially with older generations as they're trying to figure out how to downsize. You know, what do I do with all this stuff? How do I get rid of it? Can I get rid of it? Should I get rid of it? So I like to start with a conversation about talking about the energy of objects. So everything that you have around you is imparting some kind of messaging or energy towards you. You know, I think Marie Kondo did us all a favor when she came up with that really simple way of dealing with your stuff, you know, does it spark joy? If it doesn't spark joy, then get get rid of it. Does that work for everybody? It doesn't. 
there's a backlash to the backlash to the backlash when it comes to stuff. But I think just getting conscious about what you want for your home, how you feel when there's clutter and noticing for yourself how you respond to too much is the first step towards changing pretty much all of your consumer choices. Yeah. If your quote stuff isn't serving you anymore, it doesn't matter how much or little that you have. If it's not serving you, it's not serving you. Absolutely. And people have different attitudes for how much stuff makes them feel cozy and comfortable. Some people are really stressed out by the sight of clutter. Other people, they clutter on top of clutter on top of clutter. So as with anything, the importance is figuring out like who you are and what your own desires are and then making choices that that support those desires. So let's talk about building or creating that new space. Honestly, one of my favorite exercises in the book is the one about home values, which should probably be interesting to you all from a real estate perspective. I think for so long, we have thought about home values in terms of resale value. When we're buying properties, because Americans move so much and because there's this idea that we are going to be constantly leveling up. People have really prioritized what adds value to a home for the resale market as opposed to what adds value to the people who live there. That's a really good point. So it's probably my favorite exercise in the book. I have a list of different value propositions that can be built into spaces that have nothing to do with, I mean, you can always think about resale value. You can can always say, you know, building this deck, is that going to add value? But you should also be thinking about what adds value for your life, right? Like what are the values of your family? You know, is it spirituality? Is it creativity? Do you value adventure? You have to think about what are the values that that I want to make manifest in this physical space and how can I creative about adding those values to my home? That's for sure. You talk about art and the energy of art and how that sets the tone for the home. Talk about that. That to me was so interesting. In terms of like how it fits with like an individual's persuasion, first comes exposure right? Like you're never going to know what you like until you go out and give yourself a chance to discover what you like. So that could mean, you know, taking an afternoon and just going to a local gallery, just getting really comfortable with saying, I like this and I don't like that. Right. But the other great thing about art is that you can move it around. It doesn't need to stay static in one spot. You don't need to put something up on your wall and then it's it's there for the rest of your life. So it really can be a great playground and a great message board for you to play with your sense of self and play with whatever moment you find yourself in. Yeah, I actually have a friend that does that. She really rearranges her pictures about once a year. It's yeah. interesting because I'm the one that keeps it there for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> But That's I also a, have a, that, you know what, Bobby, that is okay too, right? <laughs> but I also have a mix. So <laughs> exactly. And we can have a really expansive view of what art is too. Like art can be lots of small, tiny objects that, that are all in the same category. Art can be, you know, your hack collection, 
You know, yeah. maybe, you, maybe you're like super into hats and that's your like signature style movement and you make a wall of your hats and that also has like a nice visual presentation to it. That Yeah, that's true. The other very popular item in home are scents, like oh, from yeah. candles to scents you plug in into your outlets. So how does a home scent figure into the design and are there any do's and don'ts to finding or using a home scent? So. I have personal do's and don'ts for scent. And so when you go deep into scent, generally people who really love scent and who get into it prefer all natural essential oils as opposed to like a manufactured scent. So in perfumery, there's different levels of notes that are based on how quickly they evaporate. But, you know, if you don't know what you like, it's about exposure. So just start paying attention to what categories you like. Maybe sea salt spray, maybe, you know, something a little fruitier. Maybe it's all about the scent of a place, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. so many candles companies right now that are coming out with scents that are inspired by places. Um, Oh, interesting. Right? So like if you're into Sedona, Arizona, I guarantee you there's probably six or seven different companies making candles that that smell like like that place. Beyond that, I have some basic information in the book about aromatherapy and about some basic scents that you can incorporate like into an aromatherapy diffuser. Like lavender is one that people respond to really positively or negatively, you know, if there, some people are actually allergic to it. Lemon can work really well if you want something that's more uplifting and which energizes you more, lemon and mint. Nice. So now that we've kind of discussed like all these different aspects of home, let's talk about bringing all these aspirations into our space. So I really recommend using the what's called the feng shui bagua. So it is a it's basically a floor plan that you put over your floor plan, which assigns different areas of the home to different aspirations. The reason I like it is, you know, whether or not you believe in feng shui or have like a more magical attitude about your relationship with your home. It gives you a physical space to work with that's attached to specific aspirations, right? There's nine different sections. It's basically a square that you divide into nine smaller squares. So each of the sections of the home are associated with a different type of energy that exists and kind of swirls in your life. So when I'm looking to make some kind of change within a certain area of my life, say I haven't felt particularly creative lately. I might take a look at that space in my home and see if there are small tweaks that I can make to that space. Feng Shui offers suggestions as to what can be a good fix energetically. And this gets a little bit more arcane. So I will say that I have all of these listed in the book. Yeah, this is all in the book. Yeah. You know, I love the final phase of your process, which is destiny. So it hits really two very important points that we often discuss here, which is learning how to ask and when to move on. I think that it's important to understand that everyone has a lot of desires, right? Desires are what drive us. 
But at the same time, it's important to remember that we are in a constant energetic exchange with everything that's going on outside of the world as well. So within feng shui practice, when you decide that you want to manifest something in your life, it's a common practice to write what you want down as if it's already happened. So let's say I wanted to have this conversation with you, Bobby, say, which I did <laughs> say, <laughs> say, you know, I am listening to your podcast and I'm like, it's a dream of mine to talk to Bobby. I want this to happen. What I might do is I might write down in red ink, they recommend red ink. I am so grateful that Bobby Wasserman wants to talk to me about my book. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I would, I would take this note and I would put it in the part of my home that aligns most with that particular aspiration. So in this case, I would probably put it in my office since I would consider you to be a helpful person, right? Like uh -huh. you're a helpful person. You I hope so. <laughs> right. Your goal is to be helpful to other people. So, you know, if I wanted to connect with you, if that was important to me, I might write down, I'm so thankful that she was responsive to my book and that I got an opportunity to speak with her. And then I would put that somewhere in my office and then I would go on with my day and see what Terrific. happens. Now, I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> it definitely sounds a little bit like, you know, magical thinking, but it's the kind of thing where once you start doing it and start seeing what happens, it starts to lend credence to the practice. And it, you know, I've seen absolutely amazing things happen doing this. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Now, does everything always happen on our timeline? No, it doesn't. But I think that's where the gratitude comes in. I think just understanding that if something is meant to happen, it will happen on a timeline, even if it's not your timeline, right? It, yeah. it, it almost gives you an opportunity to just like chill out for a bit and move on to whatever the next thing is you need to concern yourself with. Nice. I just, again, I just love going through this book. So what are three tips that you really leave our listeners with? There's a lot of tips in the book. So I don't want people to get like, too overwhelmed because everyone really needs to start where they are and with what's possible for them. But I've been thinking about just like big picture, what my advice is to someone who's at the beginning of homeownership or who maybe is in a moment where they feel like, you know, I got to turn the ship around, something's not working. So these are just like some big picture things I've been thinking about. I think we all need the encouragement to like what we like. Yes. As opposed to worrying about what that outward facing, what someone else likes is. Now, do we all know what we like? No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're not there yet, but that's part of the fun. It could be as simple as, you know what? I'm going on a texture journey. I get the sense that I might like texture, but I don't know what textures I like. So I'm just going to go out and I'm going to spend the day touching stuff. And I'm not even going to think. I'm just going to go out and touch things and see how I respond to it at like a really primal level. And then I'm just going to 
pay attention to myself and pay attention to what my own likes are and not worry about whether other people are going to like this. I love it. Also, I just want to encourage people to give themselves time for this process. That is a great final tip. And this has just been such a fantastic conversation. Again, I just, I really love the book and thank you for your insight. It's been really helpful. So hopefully we've inspired people to think more philosophically and holistically about their spaces as a place to start. And we've provided somewhat of a general roadmap with some tips for those that are interested in making spatial shifts. So Emily, any final thoughts and where can people find the book and find you? My book is available everywhere where books are sold. It's probably going to be in a lot of retail shops as well. Excellent. Well, we'll have all that information on our website. And everyone, thank you all for listening to the Single Lady Estates podcast. To learn more about what Emily discussed and to join our community, go to our website at singleladyestates.com, connect and engage with our community, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, everyone. 